Business Diplomacy Today, the podcast about international relations and geopolitics from a business perspective. We help you anticipate the changing political and societal trends that influence your business. Welcome. My name is Matthias Katon. I'm your host. Business Diplomacy Today is sponsored by the Indo-German Center for Business Excellence. The center is a think tank, research center and network that connects people and organizations interested in business relations between India and Germany. As an academic institution founded in 2021 at Frankfurt School of Finance and Management, it is independent and impartial, but always close to the real world. And to find out more about the center, please go to indogerman.center. And obviously, you can also find the link in the show notes. Today, we will talk about the topic of ESG and performance measurement. And to do that, as always, I am joined by an expert on the topic. And today, that expert is Matthias Malendorf. Matthias is a professor of managerial accounting at Frankfurt School of Finance and Management. So we're also colleagues here in Frankfurt. He is interested in performance measurement, unsurprisingly, given the topic of today's session, especially for managing sustainability performance and the digital transformation of management control. He regularly publishes in academic journals, as well as in journals aimed at executives in corporate practice. Professor Maldorf ranks among the top 20 researchers worldwide for managerial accounting publications in the last six years. That is the BYU ranking that has determined that. And another ranking uh, on the relevance of accounting research has placed him number one in the category of managerial accounting. He was a visiting scholar at Harvard Business School, a visiting professor at the University of Chicago, as well as an adjunct professor at INSEAD. Matthias, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. So let's kick things off. ESG, I suppose most of our listeners will have heard the term by now. A performance measurement, of course, also very important if you're running a, a business. But please give us a, a definition. What do we mean by ESG performance and why is it so important for companies to measure it? Yeah, I guess the answer to this has two angles. One angle is uh, the regulation. There is more and more regulation coming from the European Union and other standard setters uh, who require companies to measure ESG. And there are also a lot of large established um, rating agencies that uh, rate uh, ESG. This is one angle. And then the other angle that I'm even more interested in is uh, how should companies, even without any regulation, think about sustainability, about ESG, and think about how they can contribute to a better world by their business activities. So is this just an extension? I mean, managerial accounting has been around for a long time. So is this just a addition to the normal tasks that a, a department would do at any company? Or would you say it's a fundamental shift that we're experiencing here? Yeah, that depends on how the company implements uh, this or what the aspirations are. It could be more incremental if the company is doing the management accounting or controlling more or less as usual, maybe measuring a little bit more that is required now, like uh, carbon emissions or reducing waste a little bit. This would be a, maybe more incremental, although, to be honest, a lot of companies are really struggling even with measuring carbon emissions, right? especially if you go outside of their own borders and uh, look at scope squeeze the whole supply chain. 
But this is kind of, in my mind, still the more incremental approach. The, the really big uh, change would be to look at the costs in a different way. And uh, here specifically, the external costs are very important. And the external costs are costs that a company causes, but that uh, have to be carried by some outsiders, by the society or, or other stakeholders. And uh, I think this would, this would be the really dramatic uh, change uh, that would be... Uh, Uh, interesting and useful if uh, management accounting would also incorporate those external costs in their decision making. And that would be a huge change. So that would be classical example pollution, for example, right? I have a chemical company and I pollute the river next to, to my factory. That would be an external cost that someone else, we all, nature, society will have to bear, but it's not incorporated in the, in the accounting system of the company. Exactly, right? And if companies are really intrinsically motivated uh, to yeah, to be sustainable and to contribute to social value and not maximize only shareholder value, then they should, uh, even if it's not required uh, by external regulators, they should think about those external effects and uh, include them in their own calculations. And that will, of course, lead to different decision-making, might make uh, some projects or many projects uh, less profitable and uh, could really change how companies uh, decide what they are going to do. Would you say that companies are intrinsically motivated? So is that something where you say from your scientific work that is an observation that you've made or is it more wishful thinking in an ideal world? I think there's a broad spectrum, right? Depends on the owner, depends on the investors. So for example, some large companies are motivated to really be sustainable because it's important for their long-term Yeah, success uh, to, to be a, a company with a good reputation. But also many, many smaller businesses, if you think about family firms, I think even before the debate around uh, ESG, they often think long-term, they think about their local connections, about their uh, the village maybe they're operating in, the people they're meeting, uh, social organizations uh, in their environment, um, politicians and so on. So in, in a way, they already for a long time have uh, incorporated this thinking of also think about external costs uh, in their decision making but of course then there are other companies and especially if their pressure if pressure is increasing where these uh, thoughts are considered more as a luxury <laughs> good and the same thing also on the investor side right so some some investors and uh, maybe have uh, followed the debate in the US in the recent month where there's a de debate should uh, uh, for example should uh, the government invest in funds that have also social goals uh, above uh, and beyond just purely maximizing return for the shareholders. Um, and, and so there are some, some proponents that clearly follow the shareholder maximization logic. Um, and then there are other uh, firms, uh, for example, the uh, Norwegian Oil Fund that uh, only wants to invest in companies that have a, a zero carbon emission goal and otherwise don't want to invest. Right? So there's a broad spectrum within companies, owners, and also from the side of investors. You mentioned personal connections. Of course, if I live in a village, I may not want the environment to be polluted. If I know the people that I employ personally, if I meet them on the market on the weekends, I may have an inclination of uh, paying them a decent salary. So is that something that is works better for small and medium-sized or family-owned companies? Because some of the multinationals, they are inherently anonymous. So they, they operate in many uh, parts of the world. The structure is, is really unclear. So there are shareholders, of course, but 
if they are not known or often they're not known, at least if they're not uh, super large. So is that something that works for the traditional, say, German mid-sized company better than a large multinational? I'm, I'm not sure whether we can make a clear cut along those lines. Right? So uh, I think for, for larger companies, uh, the reputation risks are also much larger, right? especially companies that are facing the end co uh, consumer. Right? So they are very concerned uh, about their reputation and they might even be more careful in many aspects uh, compared to smaller uh, companies or companies, of course, that have close interactions with regulators. They also have yeah, a strong incentive uh, to anticipate the uh, requirements of the society. But but then there's probably uh, also a large group of companies that are somewhere in the middle, right? So not not really locally anchored, uh, and but also not so publicly known. Uh, and, and of course, for them, maybe there are different considerations or trade-offs. So you mentioned, uh, I find that interesting reputation, of course, is being important. Also customer expectations, at which point it uh, ceases to be just intrinsically motivated. It's not a normative thing anymore, but it, it's... Uh, perfectly makes sense in the in the business case, right? If my customers expect me to behave in a certain way and I fear that they might move away, uh, then I, I have to adapt my, my performance. Now, earlier you mentioned uh, carbon footprint as one metric. Uh, and of course, that's probably the most well-known nowadays. You know, when we book a flight ticket, immediately on, upon checkout, we get the opportunity to offset the carbon footprint. So most people will be familiar, but what are other metrics uh, that are important that are maybe not so much discussed when it comes to ESG? Yeah, that is a good question. So, and, and already about the carbon, I think we can also talk later, uh, if you like, a little bit about this, because it's also far from being trivial, but external effects occur, of course, for many other things too, right? So, and there are some projects that try to measure the impact on society or, as I would call it, uh, external effects. Um, for many different things. So one in Germany in particular, there's a value balancing alliance, uh, that, uh, which is a collaboration of uh, several companies and also the auditing companies that try to develop joint standards to capture the impact on society. Uh, there's also an initiative at Harvard uh, that uh, develops a detailed methodology about how to capture uh, impact. And uh, what, what those approaches are doing uh, is, is trying to put some some numbers on different dimensions. So, for example, we could uh, could count also salaries could also would also be usually counted as a positive thing that has uh, uh, generates some value for society. Then we could look at uh, the harm caused by water pollution or just the use of water in areas where water is scarce. Um, could also be some some consequences of um, how people behave yeah, as a consequence of what they are doing with the with the products. Um, it could also be tax. Yeah? Tax is also an, a positive uh, uh, external effect of a company that is good for uh, for society. And of course, often there's a there's a difficulty to to put this into concrete numbers like euro or dollar amounts. Um, but uh, maybe to give you one example how this could work, right? So there's um, a company called uh, Everfy. That's one of the market leaders in online education about social. Things right, so they uh, they started with the observation that uh, school kids maybe don't learn some of the necessary skills at school, uh, like financial literacy, or how to avoid uh, or how to drink too much alcohol and so on. Um, and they developed uh, online seminars. And um, then uh, some years ago, a green investment fund uh, did a large uh, study to to check whether they should invest in Everfi from a 
a social uh, welfare or social value perspective. And uh, they tried to put numbers on this. And then uh, one, to, to give you one example, right? so uh, they, they looked at this uh, alcohol uh, misuse prevention program. And then they did some calculations uh, based on uh, scientific studies. And so first they checked, okay, how many people are reached? Uh, how many participants uh, watch those uh, online tutorials or lectures um, and uh, exercises? Then um, based on academic research, there was some, some estimation. How does this number translate into avoiding accidents? And in that specific study, uh, they found something like uh, if you reach maybe like, like 2 million persons, uh, then you can avoid... Uh, 30 people dying from accidents, from drunk driving, for example. And then the next step is, okay, so now we have an impact on society in terms of uh, people that won't die yeah, if this is uh, used, this uh, online course. And uh, then the question is, how can we quantify this? And in that study, they uh, quantified each life as uh, $5 million, which is, uh, we could debate probably whether this is, whether you could uh, value, like a monetary value on a life, but... Uh, this is not uncommon, yeah? so this is often used or needed by insurance companies, by transportation or other government agencies. Um, and uh, so, so it's just somewhat it's just a number that is already available, right? That was not invented, but this number was already around uh, before. So and then you multiply the 30 lives with the 5 million, and then you, you see this positive impact on society. And then you can treat this as like a monetary uh, outcome and uh, see what does it mean for your investment. Is it, is it a good investment or not? I understand. And of course, as with all these impact uh, things, also in, in the field of development, cooperation, for example, a field that I know a bit about, it's inherently difficult to measure specifically impact. So the more high level the activity is, the more difficult it is. But does that also not lead to the danger of greenwashing or whatever it is? Because uh, since you can't really determine exactly how much value you put to what thing you can always tinker with the numbers and you know the the pollution is then suddenly valued at a much lower uh, amount uh, and the positive things that a company does they're inflated or exaggerated so how exact is that as as a useful tool for for governance and for steering or is it more or less just something that companies put in their glossy annual review or other brochure to show that they are good public citizens. Yeah, so if you specifically talk about trying to put monetary values on social value, I think uh, first, of course, it's very important to provide some standards. And there's, for example, this Harvard uh, Weighted Impact uh, Accounts Initiative, um, which provides those standards. And, uh, and of course, we, we somehow need to agree how we measure things. Uh, so what, what is the value of a life? Uh, so, and, and even if you don't have a clearly uh, a true answer to this we somehow have to, to agree to it uh, so that we can uh, compare things um, and uh, there's quite a lot of uh, material already available and there are many companies that have already uh, followed this exercise and used similar standards uh, and uh, once companies commit to follow those standards of course this could also be audited yeah? one could dig deeper into the numbers and detect uh, uh, some uh, manipulation or greenwashing uh, so yes it is an issue but my impression is that uh, if companies try to follow this kind of level of detail, this is already much better than greenwashing in areas where it's more superficial, right? So for example, if you think about some of the, the ways how, how ESG rating agencies rate, they, they basically check whether you report on, on certain things, right? And this is a much more superficial thing. So we can uh, 
much more easily do some, some rep reporting and and uh, kind of uh, do some things that sound good but are not really impactful. So so I think greenwashing is of course very important, but it's uh, an even bigger problem if you look at very shallow <laughs> measures uh, uh, compared to trying to to put effort and uh, more detailed numbers into it. Do you think that these attempts of quantifying the impact that we have, both positive and negative, do you think that they will lead to companies behaving better? Or could one also say there is maybe a risk of the opposite happening in the sense that companies feel that they can buy themselves or get themselves a get-out-of-jail card by offsetting whatever bad things they do? Just as an example... You know, imagine a tobacco company that arguably does harmful things by selling tobacco, which is not a good thing. Could they then say, well, but, you know, we plant some trees or, you know, or we pay our employees. Maybe we pay our employees very well. You said that that might also be an ESG measurement. We pay a lot of taxes, I think. You know, most countries tax tobacco very highly. So could they say, well, you know, yes, we, we do these negative things, but then on these other matrices, we have a very, very high scores. Could that also be a danger that we're not really driving behavior in the direction that is good for society, but we're just giving people an opportunity to get off the hook? Yeah, that is a very good question. Is, uh, some some nonprofits are criticizing these approaches from this perspective, but uh, I think it's a maybe... Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't agree because um, as, so. So of course, it's important that we just don't uh, report the total, right? So I mean, if a tobacco company only reports the total and says, "Okay, we have uh, this, uh, yeah, we have calculated all of this, and uh, in total, we have a positive effect of uh, one billion euro on society," of course, that's not not helpful, right? But uh, if uh, so, so, and that's also not by the way not the idea of uh, initiatives like the Harvard um, Rated Impact Initiative or the Value Balancing Alliance. The idea is that uh, you show. All, the, all those impacts, right? And then we uh, can have a debate uh, in society whether those impacts are providing the complete picture, right? I mean, if you, and yeah, there are, of course, also some positive effects of uh, tobacco companies. But if you show all the negative and all the positive effects, then you can uh, have a debate. And I guess uh, in, the, in the case of uh, tobacco, most would agree that <laughs> if you really include all costs and benefits, uh, we have a negative total. Yeah, so, but, but, but I, th I think it, This is also something we shouldn't overlook as society, right? And, and, and just say, okay, we have to, to be good in everything because there are trade-offs, right? So there are multiple di dimensions and uh, becoming better in one dimension maybe leads to a lack of resources on other dimensions, right? So. Now, we talked a lot about measurement, and I want to continue this in a moment when we talk about the role that technology can can maybe play. But let's talk about the normative aspect for a moment. I mean, we've had some examples from health, such as tobacco or environmental pollution. And there, while people may have different opinions on how urgent one thing or another is, most people would agree that pollution, environmental pollution is not a good thing and smoking is not good for health. So you would probably find very few people who would 
debate that. Now, if we move to other topics, uh, some of which you have alluded, it gets a bit more complicated. Take salaries, for example. You could say that, you know, paying your employees a fair salary is a good thing. But uh, there, of course, the, the discussion starts. First of all, what is fair? You know, how much inequality are we willing to accept? And some people would say very little. We want basically everyone to receive the same amount of money, whereas other people would argue exactly the opposite, that it's absolutely okay to have large salary inequalities, for example, within a company. How do you approach this? Is that a discussion that society at large will have to have to get to some kind of a conclusion? Are there different models that uh, you know companies can coexist and one company applies a, a particular ESG model and the company next door applies a completely different one? How does that work in practice? Yeah, I mean, uh, fairness is a kind of uh, an additional big topic, uh, which I think is uh, maybe a little bit goes goes a little bit beyond what we can do um, in companies in the sense of capturing costs and benefits for society, right? So, um, yeah, I guess this is uh, multiple dimensions to this. So there's, uh, of course, one uh, element of uh, societal expectations and uh, what is considered as fair, but even there, um, pe different people have different opinions. And then it's, of course, also... Um, Depends on on the power of different uh, different stakeholders. Uh, so is is that particular job uh, to be is, is that a, a position where people are in demand? Uh, then of course there's more negotiation power uh, and so on. So yeah, I, th I think it's a that's a topic I would probably leave a little bit. It's also important, right? But it's uh, I would leave it a little bit outside <laughs> of, of of the core idea of uh, uh, measuring. Sustainability and and uh, to to your second part of your question, um, I mean at least to the to the extent that it's debated what is right, right? So I mean I think if there is a kind of more or less broad consensus in society, we can also think about incorporating those in measurement systems and uh, to try to standardize. Uh, but for topics that are where there is no clear consensus, um, I think it's uh, difficult. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that there are no clear cut answers. I just recently read an article, and you may be aware of that, uh, about the conflict that Disney is currently having in Florida, where they are in some kind of a conflict with the with the conservative governor of, of Florida, who is accusing them of uh, promoting woke uh, policies, whatever mm -hmm. that is, mm -hmm. around LGBTQ mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And uh, so I think there is a, a very real threat uh, for, for companies, depending on where they operate and which markets, that they might find themselves in, in the crosshairs uh, of a hot political discussion where some people will argue you have to do more, go more into that direction, do more uh, to become better, a better corporate citizen, whereas others uh, say, no, no, you should go into the opposite direction. What would you say as a, as a company leader? <laughs> how should you behave in that situation? Yeah, I don't have a don't have a clear answer to this, and there are different uh, different opinions also on this. I my personal opinion is that this thing should probably be better debated on a broader society level and not within companies, right? Because yeah, if there are very polarized opinions uh, within companies, uh, and this is uh, and people start to fight over this, uh, this distracts from the other thing that they can do good for society, right? So. Um, I would. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I would probably be, be more in in favor of uh, if people want to fight about this, they should do this uh, uh, with the beer in the bar after okay. <laughs> the end of the job, right? <laughs> and not really car carrying yeah. this uh, inside of companies. Yeah? But but of course, uh, companies have to live with some tensions and uh, and uh, find uh, find find their way to maneuver different expectations. Um, but but maybe uh, maybe it's also sometimes there are two 
companies are put in diff difficult positions, right, by extreme outside parties. I mean, I understand this, and of course, this is also some things are country specific, depending on what part of the world you're looking at. But if you say that these things need to be discussed on the political or societal level, wouldn't that be an argument for regulation? Something that at the beginning you said you're not so much in favor of or you prefer intrinsically motivated companies. But if you say that you're going to discuss it on a societal level, then that also means that at the end of that societal discussion process, which you know in democracies will be probably in parliament, There is some kind of regulation that comes out of it, and that regulation is the consensus that the country has reached, and that is binding for every company. So companies cannot decide, or individuals cannot decide, which part of the legal body of a country they want to adhere to and which ones they don't. So wouldn't that be an argument in favor of having such a debate in the political sphere and then telling companies, well, this is how it is, this is the law of the land, you now have to adhere to it. Yes, yes. So there was a misunderstanding. So earlier I didn't say that I'm not in favor of regulations. So I was particularly comparing requirements for external ratings to internal decision-making. So my point was was not against regulation in general, and also not even against regulation about external reporting of ESG. That's all to some extent good and required, although can also, of course, sometimes take a, a wrong turn. But uh, overall, if, if you think that there are these external effects that cannot be captured by, by the market, uh, if it's not somehow regulated and if people don't uh, intrinsically care about this, uh, then this is necessary. So my, my point earlier was that uh, personally, as someone who is interested in uh, implementing strategies, uh, measuring performance inside companies, I find it more interesting to think about how can a company really, in their core business model, think about... Uh, contributing a value to society rather than t ticking some boxes uh, to, that are required by a rating agency. That was my point earlier. In general, um, of course, we need some debate at yeah, country level or beyond, uh, and uh, some, some regulation is required. And often, I mean, if the regulation is very clear, uh, companies appreciate this, right? So I think one of the, the current uh, elements of where companies are struggling is that It's kind of not so clear what exactly, where exactly the regulation will uh, go to, right? So what will be required? How can they implement? Um, I think they have to report and so on. Interesting. Uh, we had uh, Carsten Löffler here a couple of episodes ago, and we talked about frameworks and uh, talking of clarity and predictability. He also pointed out that uh, there are, I think, between one and two dozen uh, frameworks being discussed now around the world. So the question obviously is also, Will there be one framework? Will there be five, six, or maybe 190 uh, for each one for each country? Yes, yeah, that's a very important question. So that uh, links nicely back to our earlier discussion when you very briefly touched upon uh, carbon, uh, right? And we, we, to some extent, we said, okay, this is some, somewhat established, but uh, if, we, if we take this, uh, carbon, what are the cost of carbon, for example, uh, carbon emissions, uh, cost of emitting a ton of uh, CO2, then If you take the regulatory approach, then there are different jurisdictions where you have to buy carbon certificates uh, for some industries. Uh, for example, in Europe, if you're an energy generating company or using a lot of energy like for uh, concrete uh, or um, aluminum or something like this, uh, then you have to buy those certificates. And I think uh, the, the price for emitting one ton was uh, last time, I, I think yesterday or the two days before, was something like uh, 96 euro per ton of CO2, right? 
But then we have other jurisdictions like California where the price is uh, $29 per ton. Then we have China where it's, uh, last time I checked, $8 per ton. And then we have uh, a lot of unregulated uh, markets that also emit uh, CO2 and uh, there are also some voluntary prices. So you mentioned the Uh, that customers of airlines can, by the way, most don't uh, pay this uh, carbon offsetting thing, right? So, but uh, yeah, so those kind of voluntary markets, and then there we are. There we are in, uh, in the area of uh, what, what companies voluntarily pay or customers voluntarily pay is maybe something like between 80 cents and three dollars per ton, right? So, and that's a huge spread, and this obviously cannot lead to coordinated <laughs> uh, decision making. That so, so this kind of price doesn't steer decisions in the. Uh, in an optimal way, yeah? because uh, in the end, it doesn't matter whether the ton uh, is emitted in China or here or in this industry or that industry. Um, and uh, this approach of, of uh, if companies would honestly take into consideration the external costs would make much more sense yeah? for, for a coherent uh, way of making strategy decisions and operational decisions. So, so then, of course, there's still a, a hot debate of what are the true costs for society of one, one ton of carbon. So, I think the Umweltbundesamt has an estimation of 201 euro per ton of CO2. And there's, there was a recent uh, article in, in Nature that also estimated the costs at uh, $185 per ton of carbon. Uh, so, so the kind of the long-term costs for society. And uh, yeah, so of course it would make much more sense if people would somehow could agree on something, maybe on a lower bound of this or on the, I don't know, what whatever, but maybe depending, <laughs> maybe also on the upper bound, depending on how risk averse people are or what kind of how they would trade off different types of of risk. But uh, in the end, it would be better if we somehow agree on, on those estimated uh, costs and then all across the world apply those costs for our decision making because uh, yeah, that's, that, that would really help making consistent uh, decisions. <laughs> I think this is a good moment to move on to one of our fixed segments in this podcast. A bold prediction. The world in 10 years. And that is a bold prediction where we ask our guests to be bold and predict how, in this case, the topic of ESG and performance measurement will look like globally in 10 years. Matthias, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, the bold predictions are obviously not easy. So, so I guess my my more realistic uh, prediction is that in 10 years, companies have mostly figured out how to do the required sustainability reporting, um, and we have uh, more standards, um, and that's 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 good. The the really bold uh, <laughs> prediction, or maybe more like a hope, uh, would be that in 10 years. Many companies have realized or have uh, come to the conclusion that uh, we are here all on the same planet and we should care about the total effect on society. So that means including or incorporating external costs into internal decision making and, uh, and do this, right? So um, I don't think every company needs to quantify all of those effects, right? So I think even just uh, qualitatively uh, considering external effects and then making decisions uh, based on those considerations would be very good and would be my hope for the bold prediction for in 10 years. <laughs> okay, we, we'll come back. If this podcast still exists in 10 years, we might come back and invite you to uh, a follow-up conversation. 
I would like to touch a little bit on the role of technology. We've discussed a lot the difficulties in measuring it because it's difficult to determine the exact price of, say, pollution or you know what would be the right price of a, a ton of carbon e emission. Can technology play a role in solving some of these issues by, for example, increasing transparency? Also, when it comes to supply chains, we have things such as uh, blockchain technology that is sometimes mentioned as potentially helpful in, for example, tracking a particular product along the uh, the value chain. Do these things um, change the way we, we can look at these issues? Yeah, technology certainly enables us to capture uh, external costs much better uh, than ever before. So, so, And also that it helps us to quantify more things. So before, so for, let's just talk about, for example, pollution, right? So, uh, so firm uh, emits uh, some toxic um, emissions um, into the air, then in the past that would be, you would know, okay, this is not good. <laughs> so there are some external effects probably, but it's almost impossible to uh, quantify. So now there's, uh, there are already some um, startups or companies that um, develop solutions to, so to who build very large uh, models and algorithms to automatically capture this kind of data. So if you talk about toxic emissions, for example, there is a company that, uh, combines a lot of data like, like like satellite data about where are plants uh, weather data yeah? so what is the wind direction uh, data about population so are there cities around it or not uh, and even includes the healthcare costs of the local country and then they at least that's what they claim i, I didn't use it myself yet but uh, they claim that uh, with the press of a button you can basically calculate the external costs health cost uh, for society for every plant right so um and of course, this um, yeah, this this makes it much more tangible and measurable. And I think solutions like this, also in many other areas, are under development and will help to make this goal more realistic, right? So that we can really measure uh, those uh, costs to society better. That's fascinating. And uh, you said a moment ago that when it comes to carbon emission, it doesn't matter whether it's emitted in China or in the European Union or wherever else, and that may be true for carbon, but that also would mean that for some other negative effects, maybe they're less harmful in some areas and not so harmful in others. So you could find the best place to pollute. Would that be a consequence of that? Sounds yeah. Ne more negative yeah, yeah, than it, yes, I mean that sounds it. a bit negative, but no, that is certainly right. So we also always have to, I mean, in the end, we, I think most of us care about the impact on humans, right? Of course, uh, and, and or maybe even you can also include the biosphere more broadly. There are still probably uh, areas where there's the harm is much lower and areas where the harm is much higher. Or let's uh, maybe let's go away from pollution and talk about water, right? There are some areas where water is not scarce, right? And then obviously it would not uh, make sense to have exactly the same standard uh, in terms of water usage uh, everywhere. So we, I think we need to adapt uh, those um, those measures about the impact also uh, on the local conditions. Okay, that, that's an interesting role that uh, technology can help. And of course, we are seeing so many advances now, also with artificial intelligence uh, recently, that uh, maybe we, we will be better, much better able to model these kind of uh, things. Obviously, latest when quantum computing arrives, <laughs> I guess that, that will be solved. Let's talk a little bit about financial performance. And, and so far, at least implicitly, and I think, most people would, would also see it in this way as we've seen this as a cost to the company. So the more we include 
these externalities, of course, we put them on our balance sheet, you know, the, the higher the cost for the company will be because the, there are things that will become visible that before were just, you know, borne by someone else. But is there also a way to turn this around and see ESG and ESG performance measurement as something that is also positive, has a positive impact on the company's balance sheet? Sure, there are different business cases uh, for uh, sustainability performance. Um, we already earlier mentioned uh, customer requirements, uh, but there are also uh, studies, and especially if you talk about the younger generation, uh, so uh, I think it's common wisdom uh, so that uh, younger people Uh, maybe put a higher emphasis on on sustainability. Um, so that means also you could also maybe find better employees, um, have more motivated uh, workers, uh, less uh, fluctuation. Then of course, uh, if you can, sometimes you can just save costs uh, by having less waste. Um, could also be some regulatory benefits or uh, benefits uh, in terms of. Um, government contracts and so on. So I think there are many business cases. Uh, uh, obviously, the, the pure economic view would say, well, those should already be incorporated, right? So, so why wouldn't companies do this anyhow, right? Which, which also uh, makes sense to some extent, this perspective. Um, but uh, on the other hand, we should also not be a kind of a too, too naive or kind of mission-driven and kind of claim that everything you do to improve society or to improve uh, social value pays off from a shareholder perspective. That's certainly not the case. And there also there's a very, I would say, quite mixed evidence on uh, how companies perform that put more emphasis on sustainability. I think uh, that has somewhat shifted. I think um, overall the capital market in recent years is more kind of, does appreciate those investments uh, uh, much more compared to prior uh, decades. Um, yeah, so one example, the DHL, uh, so the large logistics uh, company, They invest, they, they, they told the shareholders and investors that they are going to uh, invest uh, many billions uh, of euro into reducing CO2. And then as a reaction, the uh, share price went up, yeah, not down. So basically you're telling the investors, hey, we're taking so and so many billions uh, from your profit and you will not get it. <laughs> we'll invest it to reduce carbon emissions. And uh, that was uh, perceived positively by By investors, which uh, means that either those investors are very uh, kind of, uh, socially motivated or they already anticipate that sooner or later those uh, external costs will be somehow internalized. Uh, so it's, and then they are happy that uh, the company works on this early on. And maybe also one, one reason why this leads to increased share prices is that this reduces uncertainty. Right Before, you don't know how big is the problem. <laughs> so what could come? And once the company puts some... The price tag on it, uh, it's, uh, it's, the risk is reduced and uh, that's, that's a good thing. Um, so there's basically anticipating that at some point in the future, regulation will be tightened for a logistics company and shareholders value a company that uh, takes a proactive stand and is prepared for that. Exactly, right? So it's not only logistics, so also, for example, uh, Danone, also the uh, dairy, uh, so milk, yogurt, yeah. and so on company, uh, they, uh, to, to, I think two years ago, they introduced um, carbon-adjusted earnings per share. Uh, so earnings per share is the most common uh, metric uh, that most uh, that is most used also for executive compensation of uh, listed companies. That is, uh, you take the, the profit and divide it by the outstanding shares. Uh, then, for example, if you have own uh, one share of this company, you can know, okay, I this company made three dollars profit for my my share, for example. Uh, so, and then, so this is this kind of standard reporting. So, what Danone did is they they took their profit and then they checked how much uh, CO2 they 
emit, then they multiply this with a certain price. At that time, they used, uh, I think, uh, $35. Yeah, which is kind of, if, we, if you remember what we discussed earlier today, is probably more in the lower range of the true cost, but uh, it's already quite an amount, right? They multiplied this and then they subtracted those hypothetical costs uh, from their profit. And this was like one third of their total profit it was gone yeah, if you include those uh, uh, costs. And then they reported uh, the new earnings per share after adjusting for those uh, costs of carbon. Um, And uh, also, and obviously, this is also the third lower, which is quite dramatic uh, change in profitability, right? And uh, and this is, a, I think, a good thing because you anticipate uh, future regulations. But also, if you use this already in the company, something like this, uh, like carbon-adjusted uh, uh, profits, or in, another way would be to in, in, uh, introduce internal carbon prices. And here we are talking about like fictitious internal prices because we are talking about industries that are not legally required yet uh, to do it. But you can, of course, voluntarily do it. And I would argue that companies should do it uh, because then this will also change investment decisions. Huh? If, you, if you include those uh, costs, uh, you might choose an alternative that purely from the profit side without considering external costs would be profitable is maybe yeah. now not profitable anymore so you can really change how company how people behave in companies yeah okay so we see some companies for some companies it pays off in the stock exchange when it comes to their share prices when they invest in in these kind of things uh, there are other examples recently i believe bp uh, went the opposite so they relaxed significantly their commitment to transitioning to a post carbon environment and I think their share price went up significantly afterwards. They read about Shell thinking about the same measurements because they are under pressure. So I guess it's a, a bit of a mixed bag here. Yes, totally, right? So yeah, that's why I also said earlier we should not uh, kind of uh, be too naive or just kind of make kind of false uh, wishful thinking and uh, claim that's always financially pays off for companies uh, to do this. Huh? What about traditional bank-based financing? And I, I mentioned that because you recently published a, a paper with uh, some co-authors, I believe, in, in, in German um, with the title Was bringt der Effekt einer positiven ESG-Darstellung bei der klassischen Bankfinanzierung? That's a long and very complicated title that um, you could maybe translate. And so, so what's in it? So is, is there an effect, a positive effect, when it comes to ESG performance uh, for, for classical bank-based financing, so credit-based financing. What did you find in that study? Does it have a positive impact? Yeah, so that uh, article was uh, motivated by some discussions or questions that I had uh, with, with the CEO. Uh, so I started with uh, uh, this discussion with the CEO of a hidden champion uh, in Germany, Lauda, so they are producing uh, high-precision temperature solutions. Uh, so, for example, if you go to a hospital, there's a high likelihood that some of the machines use their, use their um, temperature uh, systems. Um, And uh, so we were kind of discussing, yeah, everyone talks about ESG and that companies also kind of medium-sized and small companies should uh, invest, uh, become transparent and uh, that uh, banks uh, um, are appreciated and, the, and, and so on. And, that, and then we were considering, thinking, okay, so what exactly are the benefits for the financing costs of uh, small and medium-sized companies? And, and we know from uh, very large uh, companies that uh, they have access to Sustainability-linked bonds, for example. Yeah? So, for example, there are certain um, credits uh, where you can 
link the interest you have to pay to some sustainability indicators. And if you are able to, let's say, reduce carbon emissions and some other things, then you get really favorable uh, interest rates. So some some investors, some governments offer these kind of bonds for large uh, companies. And uh, I read a McKinsey study a while ago, which said that uh, Large companies uh, can save half of their cost of capital for for projects like this. Yeah, so and then now the question was, okay, does it also work for small companies? And then what we did, we one of the co-authors um, did interviews with many different uh, banks, uh, Landesbanken, Sparkassen, Genossenschaftsbanken, and so on, and uh, asked, okay, so assume a, a small, medium-sized uh, company does a good job in terms of sustainability, invests in a good uh, sustainability uh, report, um, so how much money can they save uh, when they need a, a loan, right? So And, and then the somewhat disappointing or sobering <laughs> conclusion was not not much. Yeah? So all, so some banks didn't give any benefit. Yeah? So, so you have the same cost of capital as without this kind of sustainability performance and reporting. And um, um, others gave a, a very, very tiny amount, uh, like five basis points, which is basically nothing. Uh, so, and certainly not worthwhile uh, for, for small companies to invest uh, there. Uh, so one takeaway was, okay, so everyone talks about this kind of uh, steering function also of uh, finance, but at least for small companies, it doesn't work, at least not, it doesn't work in the yet, yeah? and not in a positive way that they are incentivized and they can save costs of capital by doing this. But what also uh, several banks mentioned that it could be a kind of a screening criteria, right? Could, could you could have negative effects uh, sooner or later if you don't do it? Huh? Okay, somewhat uh, sobering uh, <laughs> result of that study, but that may also, of course, uh, change. And I think it's uh, fair to assume that uh, regulation will be tightened in one way or another. Mm -hmm. So it's probably good for companies of every size to be prepared. Executive briefing, what you should read now. Matthias, is there any recommendation that you can make to our listeners if they want to know more? Where can they find more information? Where can they learn more about this topic? Yeah, so if you're generally interested in uh, how companies could um, think about contributing to society, I strongly recommend the book uh, Grow the Pie from Alex Edmonds. Um, Alex Edmonds is a finance professor. It was the favorite book uh, I read in the last uh, two years, although with three kids, I'm not reading too much at the moment, right? but <laughs> still, yeah, it's really a highly recommendable book uh, for two reasons. Uh, one is that uh, he really takes a very evidence-based kind of a neutral position. Yeah? So, so he starts with the premise that, in his opinion, companies should switch from trying to maximize shareholder value to maximizing value to society. But he still also reports a lot of studies that show that sustainability does not always pay off financially for, for a company, at least in a short-term term. So, so it's really a very balanced book, also very uh, evidence and scientific-based, but very nicely and accessibly written. And it also has uh, very specific suggestions how, how to implement this thinking in daily lives for companies. And uh, it also provides an additional perspective uh, compared to this kind of putting numbers uh, on, on the external effects that we talked about earlier. Yeah? We, we said, okay, so uh, it has some, some charm to measure all the good and bad things in, in Europe, but of course it's also very difficult, time-consuming, high uncertainty. And Alex Edmonds proposes that we should not do this. Yeah? So he rather recommends companies should use some guiding principles instead of trying to put a specific number. And uh, these uh, three principles... Um, 
are multiplicativity, competitive advantage, and materiality. And uh, maybe I can briefly go into this. So uh, multiplicativity means that companies should only do sustainable things that have a higher benefit than cost. And that sounds trivial at first, but uh, it's not necessarily the case. So one example, let's say... Uh, You think about giving free food to all your employees. Yeah? Then you have a certain cost for this. And this sounds like a social thing, yeah? like a good thing. But uh, if those employees don't appreciate getting free food because maybe they uh, are on a diet, right? Or they uh, want to have some, some specific uh, vegetarian dish that is not available in, in the cafeteria or something, then maybe the benefit for it. So the costs are maybe 10 uh, euro per employee for, for the firm. But the, maybe the perceived benefit is only eight euro per firm that would be value destroying, right? So sometimes you do something that sounds like social, but it's actually destroying value for the world. So that's one thing. Then the second thing, a uh, competitive advantage that you should uh, do things that you're specifically good at, right? So, so for example, should uh, Apple open a soup kitchen uh, for the homeless? Probably not, right? Because there are others who can do this better. Yeah? But uh, on the other way around, you should also, if you are good in something, That helps society, you should do it even if it's outside your local, your current business model. So one positive example here was Mercedes uh, precision engineers who helped during the COVID crisis uh, to change the design of breathing machines yeah, so of, uh, that uh, help with oxygen for sick people in a way that they can be more easily mass produced. Yeah? So it's kind of completely outside their business models, but they're, they're really the experts on designing things for mass production. So and Alex Edmonds would say, well, do this. Yeah? If you if you are the person that can help society, do it. And then the last thing is materiality that you should rather focus on those um, Stakeholders that, uh, that are most important, yeah, where there's so maybe also a, very, uh, a certain feedback uh, loop. Uh, for example, if you treat your employees well, they might also be more motivated when you have a certain feedback loop rather than when you plant some trees, which is also good, but there's no kind of uh, feedback loop, no materiality for the firm itself. So, and I think these uh, principles are pretty easy to follow. They don't require a lot of calculations and uh, they're very helpful and combine some economic thinking with the idea to make the world a better place. Excellent. That sounds very, very interesting. We'll make sure to put the link, a link to that book in the show notes. So if you haven't been able to write down the title, you will find it in the show notes. Matthias, thank you very much. We are already at the end of uh, this episode. So thank you very much for this very interesting conversation. Yeah, it was my great pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And this was another episode of the Business Diplomacy Today podcast. This podcast is presented by the Indo-German Center for Business Excellence. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe to it on your favorite podcasting platform. And of course, we would also be delighted if you would leave a review or a rating there. You can also go to our website at businessdiplomacy.today to check out the show notes of this episode. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening.